If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And in today's episode, I'm very excited to chat with my friend, Keith Ferrazzi. Keith is the author of Leading Without Authority, Who's Got Your Back, and the legendary business book, Never Eat Alone. He's the founder of Ferrazzi Greenlight, his executive team leadership advisory firm. And I'm always really excited to talk to Keith because he is a big thinker and he's an OG in the world of thoughtful community design and relationship development in our era. He was one of the youngest C-suite execs as a CMO of Starwood Hotels and Deloitte, and then went on to influence millions in the space of next generation work. In this episode, we cover the future of work, which we've now been forced to make happen versus just talking about it, his thoughts on building movements in organizations and in the world, and what it meant to network back in his Never Eat Alone days and the arc to his understanding of leading in networks today. Please enjoy my conversation with Keith Ferrazzi. Thank you, Keith, for being on on the podcast. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, Jeff, it, hanging out with you is something I always enjoy. The fact that it's being recorded is kind of cool and voyeuristic. I like it. Oh, well, lovely. And uh, you've been really an amazing friend uh, to me for a long time now. I think we've known each other for close to 10 years. In, in fact, my relationship with you and the boys from Summit is one of my proudest friendships. I mean, you know, I do believe I had an influence on some of the way you scoped the movement and the mission and the things that you were creating. And, you know, it's, it's in the bundle of things that I'm proud of. It's the, the ripple effect of my work on folks like yourself who have been some of the most influential people now in the world. So I'm excited about it. Well, uh, for, for the listeners that are being introduced to you and your work, you've been a marketing executive for, for, for decades. You've, 
you know, built your own um, major marketing and communications consulting forum over the last 20 years. You've written a number of New York Times bestselling books, you know, Never Eat Alone, Who's Got Your Back, and now focusing on leading without authority. One of the things that I'd love for you to take us through the arc of is that, you know, you've changed, we've changed, the world's changed a lot since, since you wrote your first book to, to today, take us back a little bit, you know, to, to never eat alone and help us understand the mindset. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the young man who wrote <clears throat> never eat alone, the younger man was telling a story about how opportunity exists in front of all of us with and through people. And at the time, a lot of people thought of it as networking. I didn't even like the word at the beginning. The way Never Eat Alone happened was I was the youngest officer in a Fortune 500 when I was the chief marketing officer at Deloitte, and then I was chief marketing officer and head of sales at Starwood. And somebody came along and said, dude, how'd you get so successful? And Inc. Magazine wrote an article about me. And it was so well-received. And I just sat back and I thought, here are the 10 things that made me successful. And it was an article called The Ten Secrets. And the way it ended, I hated it. It was called The Ten Secrets of a Master Networker. And I was so insulted by that because that seemed so peripheral. I thought I was more substantive than that. But a publisher called and said, that article was extraordinary. Uh, Write a book. And I said, I don't know. I'm going to go back and be a business person. And they said, we'll give you a quarter of a million. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll find some time. Um, And so, you know, one of the... regrets. That's probably not a good word to use ever, a bad language. But one of the things as I look back is that I spent too much time running away from that brand. But that book became, as you know, a huge bestseller. It's probably one of, it's been one of the most, the best-selling business books in the last 50 years. I went through business school and didn't really learn a lot in my classrooms, but I was an entrepreneur without knowing what the word meant. I saw the words, never eat alone, and read the first few pages, myself and my co-founders, before we had anything at Summit, any reason to reach out to these people, you know, that was a huge, empowering idea. Well, and, and I think Elliot was the one that told me that the chapter about throw your own party was one of the things that inspired you all to do that first ski trip or whatever the first thing was that you all did. The idea yeah. of being like, if you throw an annual event and it's your annual event, pretty soon people will recognize it and it'll become something like the World Economic Forum in Davos, like the Renaissance Weekend. And so, and I remember you all invited me to be a speaker at that first event. I don't even think I got the email for the first one, but I did get the email and came to the DC event. And that's been our relationship ever since, which has been extraordinary. So, so look, I mean, so I wrote this book and it changed millions of people's lives. No question. I I will show up in, in Vietnam literally not long ago and Uh, This young lady comes up to me in a gym and she has a Vietnamese translation of the book, dog-eared, tattered, which a Mormon missionary had left in her village where she lived. She read it and she came up with tears in her eyes. Now I'm getting tears in mine. She came, came up with tears in her eyes saying that that gave her the courage and the path to get out of her village and get to Ho Chi Minh and start her career and start her path. And so that's, I mean, that story has been retold to me, you know, in Russia, in, in Israel, in, in Palestine. It's been told to me all over the world. It makes me reflect on actually how rare this type of thinking is outside of the United States. We saw one of our buddies' books that, uh, called The Third Door 
and is much bigger around the world than it is in the United States and places like Japan. This type of thinking outside of our framework actually can be even that much more revolutionary for people. Yeah. And impactful. Right. So at the time, because of the patina of the word networking, despite the fact that I didn't even allow the book to have the word networking on it or in it, um, I talked about authentic relationships. And the real, the real message of the book, the Cliff Note version is, I was a really poor kid and I didn't have the luxury of tapping into nepotism like a lot of others did. I made my own. Making your own nepotism was nothing more than deepen relationships with individuals who could open doors of opportunity. And you do that by being of service, by being lovely, by being authentic. And you bust your ass to earn the right to be in company with people. And as a result, wonderful things accrue to you and to other individuals if you lead with generosity and authenticity. And then you have to learn, though, because you don't have a lot of time, you have to learn how to accelerate that purposefully, right? How do you snap your fingers and be intimate? How do you snap your fan? That's where I started writing way before Brene Brown did her research. I started writing on, on vulnerability. And I'm not, I'm not comparing, but it was, it was Adam Grant, who's such an amazing thinker and a dear young man, read my book in graduate school and the principle of, of generosity intrigued him and he started to do his thesis Incredible. on the subject, right? And so Adam's work around generosity it put, put documentation and research, which I was so grateful for because it was just a, mm. an instinct of mine and it was what I developed, but it was what all people knew, but I put words to it. And I'm, by the way, I didn't put words to it myself. Of course, I had a beautiful, amazing writer of a co-writer, Tal Raz, who worked the book with me. So all of that, punctuate that, put that there. And, but I looked at it and just because of the patina of networking, and here I was, I was a chief marketing officer of a major corporation that everybody respected, Starwood Hotel, Star Preferred Guest Program, you know, the Heavenly Bed, all of these things, St. Regis, W Hotel. And I was fearful that my brand would be degraded because my brand in my head was that I wanted to be influential in business. Now I'll explain why. My mission in life, and it always has been, and it's, it drives me at my effing core, is that when I was eight years old, my old man was unemployed for many years. And it was because the steel industry had crashed in Pittsburgh. And I saw towns, cities, families destroyed. Destroyed. And they, and they never rebounded. Pittsburgh rebounded because people moved in to CMU and started doing autonomous driving cars. But that's not the people I grew up with. Those people are still living on meager pensions if they're lucky. And the pensions are gone, so they're, le- they're living on welfare. And they have rattled down shacks along the Monongahela. That's where I come from. And I, I swore as a young man that I would grow up and become the governor of Pennsylvania and fix this shit. That's what I wanted to do. And that was my limited point of view. I thought, I'm going to be like Dick Thornburg, who was uh, the governor at the time, or, or, or John Hines, who passed away as senator. I want to grow up and I want to be a politician and fix this. Well, I've meandered in my life around all of this, but for whatever reason, that's always been my North Star. I want to save jobs and help families. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a minister. And I thought, you know, and I don't know why, I wanted to be a minister and I, went, I wanted to be a politician. Those were, my, those were my goals. And today I'm kind of both. I started my firm, Frazzy Greenlight, because I wanted to reboot the way organizations thought of sales and marketing. And I wanted to make it more strategic. I wanted to make, make it more aligned, not just PR bullshit. I wanted to make 
marketing something that drove growth in business. Because to me, driving growth was about jobs. And it bulletproofed and made companies persevere and made families like mine survive and thrive in, with jobs. And I, there's nothing worse than seeing a man or a woman not able to take care of their family. I mean, I just, I'm like crying right now. And my, I just, I mean, thinking of my dad, a proud, you know, immigrant steelworking man in his 40s and 50s when I knew him, you know, just crushed from not being able to take care of his family and busting his ass to do any job, ditch digging, sewers, anything to protect his family. And so anyway, so you, so you come to me starting this company, it was all about marketing and growth. But what I found, and this is the evolution, what I found was, and that's how you know me. It's interesting how you introduced me that way. That's not what my firm does today, but it's how I started. Start, I started this idea that I would be, I would reboot companies' growth. Peter Diamandis is one of my best friends. And I remember, I realized I needed to do a massive reboot of my brand when Peter asked me as a favor if I'd come to his A360 event. Here I am standing in front of, you know, a ton of CEOs that he, he has convened. And he brings me up on stage and he didn't prepare his intro and he didn't read a can, canned intro because we're so close. And he, he's, he, he stood in front of the audience. He says, I want to introduce you to Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi is of the most extraordinary men. What Keith does is, and he, and he paused, he paused and he just like, you could tell he clearly was not knowing what to yeah. then say. And he said, he's one of the most extraordinary <laughs> people, Keith Ferrazzi. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I got some work to do on brand. Okay, so let me catch up then. So I, I started this business, what I really came awakened to, and this was 20 years ago. We just celebrated 20 years of Farazi Greenlight, which is amazing. 20 years ago, and the migration was that if I wanted, I was out in the field helping people in a sense, without saying it, I was applying Never Eat Alone to sales organizations and helping them deepen relationships with customers. We created billions of dollars of value at a British telecoms company, literally billions of dollars of new value. Accenture, same thing, billions of dollars of new value by teaching partners and sales reps how to co-create uh, with their clients and, and create solutions that, that weren't sold. They were, they were developed and co-created, right? And in authentic and, and deep, true, meaningful ways. And then I also helped companies create communities like what you did at Summit early on. I was helping companies do. So I helped Accenture create a community of chief operating officers, a community of chief marketing officers, because I knew community was so important to both brand, I called it high touch marketing. So as I was doing that, what always frustrated me was that at the core though, I was always capped at my ability to really transform growth of business because of the relationships between my client and their peers in the business. So I'd be working with the head of marketing and the head of marketing didn't get along with the head of sales, the head of marketing, was frustrated that you know, they couldn't influence product or they weren't respected by the CEO. And I was like, shit, this is really tough to get the job done if I don't deal with the relationships that this executive has. And periodically I would get time on the corporate executive agenda, right? At the, so I wasn't typically at the beginning hired by CEOs. This was 20 years ago. I was hired by people on the growth side, but I'd get an agenda in an hour to talk about my work as a consultant or a coach at the CEO level. And I would often use that time to punctuate the failures I saw in the interdependencies of the business. The fact that I would say, look, here's what we've done, but what we could do 
if we could collaborate here in this room a little differently, if we could create a solution to the problem I'm seeing in, on the customer side, we would really be able to break through for growth. That's become my business. So full-time, what I do now is I coach executive teams. It's all I do. We call it high-impact team coaching, but I had to, I even created a word that we own. I mean, it's, our, it's a word that we created that, that defines how a team needs to function in order to create growth. And the word is co-elevating, co-elevating. Teams need to collaborate, yes, but they really need to have a shared mission. They need to co-create to get that mission, really co-create where value is created by the team. And they need to co-develop, meaning we need to shift the burden of leadership from the leader, which is, oh, leaders are overloaded running around playing whack-a-mole. I want to shift it from the leader to the team on the team. Leadership is no longer a game where the leader leads individuals, nor does the leader lead a team. The leader unleashes co-elevation within the team. Now that has scale to it. That's what I have seen. And then when you redefine team, not as who reports to you, but you redefine team as who do I need to get the job done inside and outside the company, I've knitted together you know, 20 years of work and maybe even 40 years of work and, and lessons about relational science, what I call the relational and collaborative sciences. And as a result, and I'll, and I'll sort of coming full circle, we got invited into General Motors coming out of bankruptcy to help with that organization's executive team. The CFO of General Motors said that the principles of co-elevation are a primary reason they didn't go back into bankruptcy. My dad was a UAW steelworker. 250,000 jobs of General Motors. We, GM is on the planet today because of some of these principles. And of course, an extraordinary group of executives and a lot of great strategies. I'm not being... I'm not taking any credit. I'm, I'm having, but the fact that I was, I was able to contribute to a company that was at the tip of the spear of the value chain of the steel industry that my dad suffered in, my, everything I wanted came to fruition on that moment. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings 
from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people, and we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made this show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Cannot believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Scaling yourself into a better professional is 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 really focusing on being a player, not a manager, not a coach, not a team owner. It's not what wins championships. Help us understand if we're still at that phase where we need to create our own nepotism. We have to create, you know, value in ourselves for the relationships that we're now developing. So how how do you how do we do that? How do we how do we create our own nepotism? How do we earn the right to these relationships? Uh, yeah, F T D A O R, F T D A O R. Focus. Get clear on what you want to achieve in your life. I don't give a damn if you don't really know. Fake it. Pick something. Because at every point in your life, you've got to be aiming at something in order to get anywhere. So get clear on your focus. And there's a whole, there's a lot of work around understanding your blue flame, which I, I call the blue flame, is the essence of what really makes you burn hot, right? Focus. Target. Identify individuals that are critical to help you get there. That is something that we used to do serendipitously, accidentally, but you need to do it purposely. You write the names down, right? And by the way, allow serendipity too. I would have never met you, Jeff, if I hadn't just been open to some kids inviting me to a non-paid speech because I wanted to be a nice guy, right? I mean, that's you got to open yourself up to what's in the milieu at the time and, and have a good set of values. And or, or when I accidentally sat on a bus next to Phil Knight. I mean, that was a serendipitous moment. It doesn't mean that you don't open yourself to serendipity, but get planned on relationships too. So focus, target, define. This is the most important step. Now that you've got a list of people, serve them like a motherfucker. You've got to serve, define what you can do for them. You lead with generosity, serve, 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 serve. That gives you permission to build a real relationship. There's a chapter in the new book, Leading Without Authority, uh, and we've really we've really refined this art of earning permission to lead. And earning permission to lead has three elements to it: serve, share, and care. It always leads with service. So focus, target, define, align. Align is a little trick. It's finding the connectors in this world that will connect you. You boys were always really good at that. You boys always found people who were connectors engaged with them, and they became portals and into entirely new worlds for you. So connectors need to be on your target list. But I designate a step in this process specific to it because it's so critical. F-T-D-A-O, outreach. 
Make sure that you have a consistent outreach. Make sure you have a plan for outreach. Make sure that you do a pinging, staying on people's radar. Make sure you do events like, you know, make sure that at those events, you go deep with people. Remember, I remember when I, when I taught you guys your very first dinner party and how to, how to go deep at a dinner party and how to use thin tables to make sure that you're maximizing the interdependency and the connection of people. F-T-D-A-O-R. Renew. Make sure that you're constantly renewing and pivoting as to who's your target list and what's your focus and be open to that. I mean, that's, I remember when I would come up to Malibu and teach you guys this system and how you build that in, in a more deliberate fashion. That's the core essence of it. It's easier said than done. You know, often you end up having a pull to the average when you make decisions by committee. What I'll also say is that the smartest VCs and entrepreneurs I know say the same thing. And they're like, you know, stop doing everything. Like the key to your business's success or your mission success or your movement success is to figure out how to empower those around you to lever your work in order to have greater scale. So I'd, I'd love, take the, take the critic side to this for me. I literally believe that leading without authority is a reboot to leadership. I think the way we've thought about leadership is wrong. It's wrong for the today's work. And the reason I just created a new effort, a new foundation called Go Forward to Work is because I have spent 20 years of my life fighting, fighting, fighting for changes in the way we think about work. And this is what, look, you know, starting, maybe I've done it since I was eight. I don't know. But starting with when my dad would say to me, that he would see problems in the workplace, but he wasn't given permission to say them out loud because he was a worker. He's a tow motor operator. He was a ditch digger. He would be told by his bosses to slow down because he threw off the piecemeal rate, meaning if, if, if he worked as hard as he worked and other people didn't, then the manager looked bad. That's the steel industry of the 70s that got crushed by Japan, okay? And I saw that back then. So my first job at Imperial, I, I went into manufacturing. I was the only guy out of Yale that wanted to go into manufacturing. I went into manufacturing, moved it back to Pennsylvania because I was going to run for Congress there after I fixed manufacturing. So I was in a congressional district that I thought I could win in Pennsylvania. And I was in manufacturing and very clear to my North Star that I created at eight years of age. And what I started doing is writing workbooks for workers down at the front line on how workers could fix their own problems. And what happened, ironically, again, General Motors comes up. Ironically, General Motors adopted this principle of total quality management and started to say to their manufacturing facilities, let's listen to our workers fix quality instead of trying to fix it centrally. I started to really research and look at this world of quality, which was unleashing worker empowerment. And that has stuck with me from the very beginning because my dad I saw my dad's wisdom not tapped into. And so the same thing today, what you're saying about what VCs are saying, I had this little thing called a Yoda in the room. The wisdom of Yoda exists in every team, but very few leaders know how to extract it because they're, they're too reliant on their own voice. They're too reliant on the hub and spoke system of leadership. And I, by the way, that's not the way work happens today. Work happens in networks. That has now been well-documented by Deloitte Research, which ironically, I started, I started Deloitte Research in um, 1998. And 
in the last 10 years, it has documented the future of work is work in networks. We, we don't work in org charts anymore. We work in networks. We work, we have, we have, we have shit we got to get done. And then we got people we got to work with to get it done. But nobody had put a plan in place for how do you do that? Nobody has a book where, okay, we're now working in networks, not in org charts. Here's a book. So, and then again, back to the irony, Adam Grant, when he read this book, said this is the first book, which is the actual roadmap for how in the get in the gutter of how do you actually lead in a way that we've been calling for now for 10 years. So it's interesting how all of these things come around with the same brands, with the same people. But we've been fighting this for 20 years. And today, leadership is not centric on the leader. Stop it. Leadership is the ability to unleash a team. And you can't see me, but, but it's in quotes. Because a team is nothing more than a group of people. And the first chapter in the book is who's your team? Because what you realized, you and Elliot and the team realized, was that your team included peace people like Keith Ferrazzi or Tim Ferriss. It, it included people that, that you needed to get your job done. And you enlisted us emotionally, richly, connectedly. And that's what gave you superpower. The team was whoever you needed to get your job done, and you treated us as team, right? So no matter how expansive you get, you enlist people. And the humility that you always had, which I'm sure you've lost most of, totally. <laughs> like most of us do with success, but the humility that you always had is the humility of leadership we need today. I used to love coming and working with you all and volunteering and giving time because you were just so so curious and so so wonderful and so engaged and so fun. You were so generous to your team, right? As broad as that team became. And that's what leadership is today. And that's why you created something that was grand and something with scale and something that changed the world. You led a movement, Jeff, you led a movement. And that's what leadership is. It's leading movements. And you can be an accountant in a large organization and you can lead a movement today to reboot how accounting is done in a post-COVID world. That is your option. The way you do it, I don't give a damn what your title is. I became chief marketing officer of all of Deloitte when I was in my 20s because I led a movement in marketing in the company. I had no authority. I had no title. I had no uh, permission. I had no budget. What I had was the ability to influence and enlist people in a vision that we should change and we should reboot the brand of Deloitte so that it, so that it would be at par with other great firms, even though we were the last. And it sounds like a, a flexibility to incorporate the better ideas that were one degree of separation right around you from all of your colleagues. Well, my vision wasn't even my own. The vision came when I sat in an audience and I listened to the CEO of Deloitte say that someday he dreamed of being at par with Accenture and McKinsey. The time it was called Anderson Consulting. So I took that in my head. So a little story. I took that in my head and I said, wow, okay. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help that man do this. He doesn't even, he didn't know me. So what I did is I called a professor. I went up and shook his hand and I said, sir, I, I heard what your legacy is going to be and I'm going to help you. So I called a professor at Harvard and I said, Len Schlesinger, I said, Len, I want to do a special project. I want to do a research paper for, a, for a, your class next year. I want to take it, but I want to do your work. I want to do a research page pair on the future of marketing and professional services. Len's amazing changed my life. Len said, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> and so I did this white paper and I called the CEO, I called the chief marketing officer of McKinsey, Bill Mattisoni, 
called the Chief Marketing Officer of Accenture, Jim Murphy, called all the CMOs. And I got interviews and I told them all what I was doing. I said, I'm writing a white paper on the future of marketing. I was a Deloitte intern. I'll turn around and I'll give you the white paper back so you can see what the accumulated research was. And I delivered it to the CEO of, of Deloitte, Pat Lacanto. I shipped it to him. He, had, he didn't even remember meeting me nor saying what he said. With that, within three years, I was the youngest partner of the firm and, and the chief marketing officer of the company, leading without authority. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. To do what you're talking about inside of an organization, I love the idea. It is something that I've certainly gotten aspects of, but perhaps there's other components that you you feel would be appropriate to share with the listening audience some simple ways to put these things into action. Like I, I imagine we don't have to, we can walk before we run, right? Like there's ways that we can start to introduce these practices. Yeah. Look, I mean, every one of us has and can recognize around us some fuzzy vision of how we think we can make the world around us better. Okay. So let's just start with that. 
So I'll use myself as an example. Like I did at Deloitte, right? I looked around and I was like, oh, well, there's, there's something, you know, the CEO wants to be great in marketing. I can maybe think about how to do that and help the company be better at marketing. So step number one is you, you adopt a vision. For me right now, my vision has always been to change the way of work. How, how does work work so that organizations thrive? And it's just been exciting to me. So you get this fuzzy vision. Then what you need to do is you need to invite your first team member, right? So you need to ask yourself, similar to what I used to talk about in Never Eat Alone, that FTDAOR, is, it's called a relationship action plan. And relationship action plan needs to be assigned now to your movement. And, and also, I think there's an emotional connection here. If you think of your work as a movement, it, it brings a level of resonance to you. I've been listening to uh, Marian Williamson in The Course of Miracles and her book, Return to Love. What I've learned from her work, and I've read uh, Return to Love a while ago, what I learned from her work is how you come into a meeting with love, with the intention of love, translates into the person that you're meeting with. And it was so wonderful because I was just listening to a half of an hour of that the other day and had a meeting with the CEO of one of the largest consumer packaged goods companies in the world. And um, he had told me through his head of HR the night before that they were going to pause the work we were about to do for, because they were doing budget cuts. So I heard from the head of HR, work being paused. But then I noticed the next morning I had a call with the CEO scheduled, just hadn't triangulated. So they had paused the work, but I had a, a call scheduled anyway. So I thought about it. I was going to send a message saying, hey, do you still want to do this call? But I didn't. Um, I just left it on the agenda. I figured if they want to cancel, they'll cancel it. So I was listening to this idea of showing up with love. And I knew that the answer was that they weren't going to progress. But I showed up with love on the morning with the CEO. And I'll, I'll take you through the contortions of it if you cared to. It's not that important. But what's important is the work's back on. I mean, I just showed up with such care. And I, you know, I sort of meditated on it as I was walking into the Zoom call. I was like, this guy's just, you know, he's had to shut everything down. He's going through a lot of stress. He's going to have to do riffs, I'm sure. There's all these things going on. And like, how can I love on this guy and be of service? And even though he's not going to work with me, how do I use this half of an hour to benefit him some way, emotionally or or business-wise, what can I do to be of service? And I just came into that, right? I ended up reversing the decision. The reason I say that is because if you're going to lead a movement versus do a job, right? You, you show up with a presence that enlists people in to be joiners of your movement, right? Now, the powerful thing about a movement is the first person you invite into your team, into your movement, you're inviting them into their team, their movement, right? So you become a co-creator. The first person you invite in as a leader, it's not the egotistical leader of follow me, right? It's actually, let's go crack the code together, right? That becomes a powerful enabler of leadership. You're inviting somebody into their team, to their movement. And as long as you're consistently keeping people focused on their movement, and the output's extraordinary, but it's also exponential because then you've you've acolyted them to become the evangelists of the movement. So the next person they invite, they've invited people into their movement, and it's your movement too. So the exponentialism, like you know, just spreads because every movement leader inside of the company is now a movement leader of the movement, and it's just it's exponential. This is where 
real leadership. And, and your job is to serve the movement. And, and that idea is, is at the core of all change management. This is what we use. This is our change management, but traditionally thought of as in business as something you train people and you communicate to them so that they know what they have to do differently. No, my work with companies is to create movements of change inside of companies. I, I help large organizations unleash movements of change. And that starts at the executive team and my coaching with the executive team. But then I take that same principle of co-elevation and I make teams. Like I'm literally working right now with a sales organization of an insurance company. And I'm creating a movement of change that helps those sales reps rethink how they help each other step into the digital world. Um, at Merrill Lynch, where they had flat new business development, we created a movement of change where financial advisors coached each other to be better at bringing in net new accounts. And they increased net new accounts by, by upwards of 50%. We're talking about a company that had like X billions of dollars of net new accounts increased that by 50%. Whereas historically, the way you would do that is you would either bring on new leadership, you would hire someone to run the executive development or to manage the entire digitization program. What you're saying is that just by creating a system where you're putting the responsibility for growth onto the people, you're also unlocking the permission for them to grow in ways that they didn't self-define as beforehand. In the past, we'd create a training department and we put everybody through an effing program. And the absorption of that, what is the passion of that for change, right? Versus what we're doing is going into an organization and you anoint an acolyte, guys like my dad, to be pride transformers of the world around them. My dad becomes a leader without authority at the manufacturing site. The financial advisor in Detroit becomes a leader without authority, coaching other financial advisors to be grand and bringing their brand into a new place and being successful. Everybody becomes a leader. Everybody becomes a leader of the people around them. I've always said that the world around us, there's so much coaching sitting in the world around us that is untapped because we centralize and control it. And the book, the book originally, when I, this is an eight-year book in the writing. I've written it four times in eight years. The original book was a book about how within every relationship is a coaching agreement and how do you be the best coach of the people around you? That's, that's, that was the original purpose of the book. But what I realized over time was while that's powerful, and it's actually a chapter in the book now, while that's powerful, there's a bigger idea here, which is, Peter Diamandis taught me to be exponential. He's one of my best friends and, I've to- and I'm on his board and I totally believe in exponential thinking because of Peter. And I don't think anything short of it is called for in the world of work today. But the only way we're gonna get exponential is if we anoint an acolyte and unleash leaders all throughout an organization. Then when you do that, right, and you create those interdependencies, then you get to be exponential. So Pete, I even coach Peter's team. Don't alignments need to also, or like incentives need to be aligned with the distribution of leadership? I just, you know, one of the things I think about is like, if there are more leaders, then you're going to have to distribute, you know, currently incomes typically sit in the chief executive suite and 
it's not necessarily distributed. The, the incentive of success is not equally distributed through most organizations. So I imagine that's something that you also have to consider and coach on, correct? I've always thought in the back of my head, I should spend some time partnering with a company like Marsh McLennan or some of these firms that specialize in compensation, right? Because I feel like that is a lever to pull that is critical to making transformation occur. Just what you said. I've never done it. I've never done it because we've been pulling that lever. People think salespeople are coin operated. They've, that's what they say. And we've been pulling that lever for many years, complicated schemes of compensation and reward. But I'll tell you something. If you make a salesperson feel like they belong to something, they'll take a hill. They'll take a hill. And that's what I learned from General McChrystal and some of the work that the military has done. I've and, and, and Jim Collins, who studied leadership at West Point and then published a lot about it, I've learned so much through the military because if you want to make somebody sacrifice their life, put their life at risk, they're not doing it for their country. They're doing it for their, their peers. They're doing it for the people that are right around them. That's, how, that's what motivates to the point of putting your life at risk. So I don't need, I don't need coins. I don't need coins. Now, Maybe over time, we want to make sure that the compensation system catches up to what I've done, but I will move mountains and I will move souls through getting people enlisted in movements. Look at what's going on in the world right now. Look at what people are doing right now. Look at the movement and the, and the fear and the anger. That is, that's not being coin-operated. No one's, I heard the, yesterday somebody claimed that the Chinese are actually paying those people. I was like, what the fuck are you thinking? That is not coin-operated. That's passion-driven. Right, some of it ill, ill-directed, some of it, you know, beautifully aimed. But it, that is passion-driven, and if you can unleash that as a leader, get out of the way. Leave us with something that uh, you know we can carry into the world. You know, I think all of us are going through trauma right now. We all want more, you know, self-empowerment. We all want to have the tools to take care of the people around us who we love, who are definitely hurting in some way, shape, or form uh, at the time when this when this podcast comes out. I'm a firm believer that literally everybody going through this period in time is, is, is suffering some form of trauma. So uh, please, please take us out on something brilliant and irreverent and timeless. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think the answer is two things. One, if you've, if you've enjoyed the conversation and if you feel that it strikes a chord, then join me in the movement because I'm a humble servant of a set of philosophies that I I'm trying to figure out how to co-create the next step, right? So I guess my point is activate. And I would say there's two ways to activate from what we've talked about so far. One, you know, come and find me. Come to keithfrazzi.com, go on social media, et cetera. Come and find me and we'll, we'll do this together. And I'm, I'm desirous of figuring this out together. The second piece is have a, if it's not my vision, but it's yours, Start with that fuzzy vision. Sometime today, reach out to somebody that you think you could co-create something extraordinary with, or even not extraordinary. Some Reach out to somebody that you think you could co-create something interesting and cool with, just like Elliot and Jeff did at one point in time in their lives, right? And then sit down together and go on a journey, right? And that journey of leading without authority is how the two of you will co-create and emerge this vision in co-creation. And at the same time, the two of you will develop and you'll grow as humans together. 
and you will be each other's coaches. And then, and then you'll invite the third person and the fourth and the 30,000th person. Last week, I was just sitting with uh, a gentleman, an African-American gentleman who was a coach to my younger son. And he was so frustrated with what was going on. And I said, but just don't be frustrated. Start your movement and go find your first co-creator. And you know now he's hosting Sunday meetups with 40 and 50 people and they're activating. But that's it. Start your movement today. And it starts just with one lovely conversation that'll be more enjoyable than anything else you've done recently. So try to transition our feelings into actions in the smallest first steps we possibly can. Yeah. And then the success and the joy of it. This is the way we want to live our lives. Think about those early days and the joy you had with the brainstorming and the, and the, and the, and the swashbuckling that you and Elliot did together and, and the team. I want that for everybody. I want everybody to have those kind of co-creators and impact in the world, right? But so many of us are doing jobs and so many of us are, are, are isolated. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're social distancing or not, you can, you can be as connected today and more so than ever before. But I want you to connect around a vision and I want you to co-create around the vision and I want you to activate today and I want you to lead and don't worry about titles, authority or resources. Those will all come with your movement. Well, thank you, Keith. Thank you for listening. I love you very much. I love you, brother. And I'm inspired. This is the Art of the Hustle. See you next time. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.